Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the latest episode of uh, Broken Oars and Broken Oars Indoors at the same time. And this is what we are describing as an emergency broadcast because we have something incredibly important to talk about, namely the latest uh, return of an adverse analytical finding from an indoor rower. Um, now, at this point, I've said the indoor row and, you know, like people are going to be switching off from the on the water community, but please stick with it because this is a phenomenally important issue and the, the indoor rowing community is a feeder for the on the water community and I do believe that we need to defend our turf. This isn't just about Christopher Bailey, and yes, we've said it, because frankly, if British rowing can't muzzle us, then a hairy-backed bodybuilder who we've never met before definitely can't muzzle us. Although, having said that, that sounds like a bit of a challenge to hairy-backed bodybuilders everywhere. Indoor rowing, because of COVID, because of the pandemic, because of the explosion of the sport, because of things like Zoom ergos, because of people like Hodge doing Race the Thames and all of those things, it is a way into our sport. And this conversation is not just about Christopher Bailey, it's about our culture and it's about how we look as, at ourselves as rowers and how we look at our sport uh, as, as rowers. It's not good enough for us to say, well, it's just an indoor rower who used to be a bodybuilder, because that's like saying, well, it was just two fringe members from the Headington Road Young Offenders Institute. Now, Lewin, before we start, you, we do that thing at the start of every episode where you do the ladies and gentlemen, welcome back bit, because you are obviously the headline draw and you are the, 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 the science brain to my northern monkey. And you say, what are we talking about on the pod this time, Aaron? And I say, well, Lewin, tonight are we talking about a thousand and one things that you can do with a badger or some of the similar non-secateur? Strangely enough, I, I do know this and um, I have... I have an actual pair of secateurs in in the shed at home. It's they're really good. Funnily enough, we have a a, 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 a linguistic philologist who's also a, a surgeon at time called Damien Green, and he's actually told me that a non secateur has nothing to do with not being able to find your secateurs or otherwise sharp edged gardening implements. I've checked with him. Fair enough. The reason why I'm flagging this up is this is obviously a serious podcast. We are we are breaking into areas of scenery, of serious journalism. And I think that I am becoming somewhat typecast as the Northern Monkey. So tonight, I'm not going to do the non-secateur thing. Are we talking about, for example, Lewin, what happens if you take a seal, uh, much in the news recently, and props to Charles for lifting a 500-pound aquatic mammal onto the documents while they snarky with flunkies during the... Um, the succession. Anyway, we're not going to talk about what happens if you take a seal and you add fur to it by using perhaps prit stick and dog hair. We're not going to be asking the question, if you do that, do you just end up with a fat otter with no legs? Why are we not asking this question, Aaron? Well, I mean, we can ask it. Do you have any strong opinions on the idea of, of seals becoming fat otters with no legs? Um, I... I almost feel like it's an otter that at some point got fat and then had babies that had very, very short legs. 
and the process continued and continued through through means of natural selection and are you saying and you are the scientist you have like a proper degree and a phd and and, and everything yeah it's been a while you know, but yeah you you know things about genotypes and things like that um are you saying that if we go far enough back on the seal otter family tree th that there will be a moment of convergence i'm i'm gonna say no um and i'm i'm literally just like the biologist the proper biologist you need to understand i was a molecular biologist i dealt oh. with genuinely the atomic nuts and bolts of the issue but so you're actually saying it's technically the actual feasible. biologist will kill me if i get this wrong so i'm going to say no comment at, at some point i doubt that there is a recent common ancestor of the otter and the seal just so you're not going to be drawn either way on if you basically take a seal and you stick dog hair on it using print stick you get a fat otter that's not something you're going that, no actually i'm going to say no don't get a fat otter because um things cannot fundamentally change their species okay are we then going to talk about britain embracing the future as it always does by running back to the past dressed in the flag by embracing the old traditions of succession, because I hear that Princess Anne has recently taken control of the household cavalry. She's set up camp near Richmond, and she's waiting for Charles to meet her in open combat in a battle for the crown. Do we have oh, any strong opinions on It's got to be said. <laughs> if if that's the case, I'm I'm marching for Princess Anne. I I think I think Princess Anne is is a high quality individual. Okay, so we've come out for Princess Anne. We Absolutely. Are, okay, that's fine. So we are basically cavaliers to Charles's roundheads. Um, and any man who can't deal with a leaky pen is not a man. Are we actually going to talk about why every broadcaster in the UK and every major news channel in, is live streaming the lying in state? Do they think she's going to escape? Do you know one of the problems of basically paying the equivalent of two extra license fees for Amazon Prime and Netflix? <laughs> just being like painfully middle class as I am fundamentally mm. it's like you never watch stuff like this you right. kind of miss stuff like Wimbledon you have to really work hard to oh yeah we've got to watch the Olympics no put right. the Olympics on now um and although credit to the BBC the Olympics and the Commonwealth their coverage was great and I'm actually really looking forward to their coverage on the weekend of um the world rowing championships which is getting better and better with each passing iteration but i'm 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 starting to feel certainly in the newspapers that i read um not the epoch times the the continual coverage of what is essentially a final situation we know what's happened. Her Majesty the Queen has passed. Her son, King Charles, has become, as far as we know, King Charles III. There is this thing where you choose a, a kinging alias, um, which may pop up at some point at its coronation. I'm not someone who can say a great deal more about it than that. I, I think that, yes, we're, we're going to have the lying in state. This is a tradition. I think this is a reasonable to tradition to continue there are lots of things that you could stop instead of that but i yeah i don't believe it needs 
approximately six double pages at the front of the Times every day. But something might change. She might escape because anybody with any knowledge of the monarchy knows that the body of any past monarch traditionally has a stake driven through their heart. It's divided into four and then it's buried at a crossroads with garlic to stop them walking again. Or am I thinking of vampires? I think that's vampires. Right. I, I, I actually genuinely love the way that I'm being completely nonsensical and you are doing your best to give me a serious answer. Uh, well, are we talking about... I, I don't know. I, I actually think it's kind of a serious issue because I'm sitting here and it's just like what it feels like right now. Okay, and I'm going to get in so much shit saying this. Um, You're saying but, it. Okay, it. I'm saying it. I'm saying it as an analogy. I'm not. I'm not saying it as an analogy to the current political situation. But apparently, when Stalin gave a speech mm. in the Russian Parliament or the Soviet Parliament. Everybody got up and started applauding. Right. Uh, standing ovation, because you got to give the man a standing ovation or he'd kill you. But the problem was he never, you know, it'd be like five minutes before he went, okay, sit down, sit down, boy. And in that time, nobody was prepared to be the first person to stop clapping. That's what yeah. it feels like at the moment. It feels like nobody is actually, I'm going to sit here and I say, you know, um, like I think the overwhelming majority of people in this country, country, I do have a degree of affection and an enormous degree of respect for the Queen. I, um, I think she has done a very good job, a very difficult job with enormous professionalism. And while she's had a great many privileges in her life, she has also had a great many demands placed upon her. And she has met those demands with a plomb. And she has done what she has done as, I think it is reasonable to say, an act of service, albeit a fairly well remunerated act of service. And but at the same time, I, I think it's it's possible that the newspapers can reduce the number of front pages that are dedicated to this issue to maybe four front pages. When you say she's met these challenges with a plum, is that kind of part of the royal arsenal like the crown absolutely. and a and a plum um, absolutely she she basically she she's got one of those um staff slings where she like flicks out the plums uh, right um smooth plums too okay yeah well For I, aerodynamics I'm, yeah i'm gonna meet things with 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 a plum in future i think are we gonna talk about on the tv show franklin and bash which one is franklin and which one is bash because i've never actually been able to tell I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Fantastic. Let's skip merrily on as though we were uh, processing down the yellow brick road to Oz. Are we talking about why I'm only now, after it's ended, finding out about Brooklyn 99? I'm going to say no, because that's your own damn fault, frankly. It was really quite amusing. Right. Okay. And we'll come full circle and we'll come back to the seal issue. So you've turned your seal into a fat otter by sticking dog hair on it with Pritt stick. If you wanted to turn it back into a seal, Lewin, could you, can you think of, of any 
manufacturers of goods that might be able to help with that kind of clipping action? What? So if you were going to like basically take a rather rough seal yeah. that looked a bit like a legless otter, a sticky legless otter, and turn it into a smooth, sleek, streamlined, organic fish hunting torpedo. Yes. I don't know. You'd need a very, very high quality piece of equipment for that. Can you think of anyone that we might currently be in partnership who who might have things that are, if not great for seals, perhaps great for men and what? possibly men who are going forth with a plum in future? Well, I mean, I, I can think of a small Californian company that produces incredibly high quality male grooming equipment equipped with ceramic blades that are fully washable and rechargeable batteries with a light. And at the moment, is it not also the case that any Broken Oars listeners on any of Manscaped's products can get 20% off and free shipping by entering the promo code Broken Oars, all one word, at the checkout? All one word and lowercase, um, at the che- uh, checkout on the uk.manscaped.com website. I think they can. I think they can. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a seal in your household, and let's be honest, Prince Charles has been doing a lot of things with seals recently, so I I imagine that his first act of king will be to make sure that there is a a seal in every driveway if he manages to defeat Anne at the Battle of Richmond, and frankly, our money is on Anne. She has the cavalry. Um, And you want to turn your seal into an otter, I would suggest Pripstick and dog hair. But if you want to turn it back into a seal, I would suggest Manscaped for all of your smoothness needs. Indeed. Shall we talk about Chris Bailey? Let's put the boot into Chris Bailey now that I've worked off some of my loopiness because it's been a while since I've last seen (laughs) you and I tend to store it all up. So... um... Essentially, what you know, in going into the serious business, and it, uh, in our opinion, uh, I kind of went off from the hip uh, on Instagram yesterday, and so that bounced onto Facebook. Um, people have been nicely supportive. I haven't had much pushback on it. Um, I will go into the international differences in the sports of Olympic weight, weightlifting and powerlifting, and how they deal with these various issues so what's um, actually happened what's act, what's act, i mean most rowers will be aware because uh, most of our listeners because we've already flagged it up but what's actually happened that's caused us to um skip merrily away from our, our light badinage and get serious for once well at the world uh indoor rowing championships um world rowing i believe sanctioned uh an in-competition test now this is this is a bit of a strange one because the World Indoor Rowing Championships, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fully set up by World Rowing, was actually a virtual only event. Right. So this wasn't like a straightforward process of cornering a guy after he got off the erg and say, uh, "Can you step into this cubicle and pee in this cup, please, sir?" This was they actually had to say, "Right, we're sending someone round." to his house. And I'm going to say that this was very much a prearranged issue. They they didn't just 
have a look at the live video feed and say, oh, he looks a bit buff. We're going to investigate him. I think this was, I don't, I don't know if like somebody had dropped a dime on him or anything, but uh, I, I think a degree of forethought and a degree of prearrangement was required for the testers to go around to um, a gentleman called Chris Bailey's house. And we're not doxing anyone because this is a matter of public record and has been um, put out there by uh, World Rank. I've also spoken to Chris Bailey on Instagram Instant Messenger, and he's come out and said, yes, I'm a bodybuilder. Yes, I used a compound known as drostanolone, um, which is a banned androgenic anabolic steroid. Um, previously, this would be marketed as Masteron, a therapy for hormone-dependent breast cancer in the 70s. Um, and bizarrely enough, um, they uh, bodybuilders also take tamoxifen, which was an update of Masteron that was um, the latest thing in the 1990s. And it's got to be said, I have in, in my mind, do you know that meme, as the young people say, of mm. a gentleman wearing, a black gentleman wearing a yellow suit, peeking out from behind the tree and rubbing his hands with glee. Yeah. That's literally bodybuilders when they hear that there's a new therapy for breast cancer. They will take anything. They will literally take, I'm going to try not to swear, in this episode, they will take anything if they think it will make them bigger and stronger. Can I ask a semi-serious question as the non-scientist? Go on. My understanding, thanks to your, your brief uh, and also reading around, is his, his A and B sample came back. So he's not waiting on, on anything else. He's been pinged. He's been pinged. Um, he has been repeatedly contacted by the testing agency. Um, he did not respond to the testing agency. Um, I think they tried reading the publication, the PDF, they tried to contact him three times, tried to contact him at least three times. He didn't respond on any of those. So they just went ahead and published. When you say these people will take anything, now I, I'm not, I'm not a, oh, man. I, I joke about not being a scientist, but I, I kind of know that it, you know, bodybuilding is built on steroids. It's one of the pillars of the sport. But if you look at the, at the, the Arnolds and the Ronnie Coleman's and the Dorian Yates's of this world, if you actually read back some of their, their interviews and podcast uh, interviews and things like that, they're actually highly specific about what they're taking. Um, they're very health conscious. Ronnie Coleman and Dorian Yates talked about getting their bloods done every three months. They, they, they actually broke down their stacks and, and cycles and showed they were actually using considerably less than most bodybuilders and fitness influencers now take as a normal dose. Is this partially, we've talked about it before, is this partially linked, do you think, to the increase in Instagram influencer in being seen to be bigger, fitter, faster, stronger, therefore I will take anything? Or is there actually a subset of bodybuilding and, and, and weightlifting where they literally will try anything if they think it will make them bigger and stronger? Um, it's not 
anything. I mean, they, they've got very specific targets for what they've got in mind. Um, so essentially what they're looking for are testosterone analogs. So right. all androgenic anabolic steroids are in one way or another Analogous. similar enough to testosterone. So if we think back to our old GCSE biology lessons um, and the lock and key mechanism, yeah. with the uh, receptor on the muscle cell. Many other cells have these receptors for testosterone. Um, and so that would be the lock and the key would be testosterone. Mm. And testosterone going into the lock will turn the lock into the on position. Right. Um, what these compounds do, what Masteron does amongst many other things, um, is that they are better at fitting in that lock. Right. So um, they are, they fit more precisely in the lock. So they spend more time in the lock okay. and they last longer in the body. So testosterone, if I, if I were to inject you with normal testosterone, your mm -hmm. body would say, aha, what's this? And it would cycle through it fairly quickly. It would right. have a half-life of, again, I should have looked that up, but it would be a much shorter half-life than, for instance, Masteron. Right. Um, and, and there's stuff to talk about in the half-life of Masteron. I don't, I'm fully aware that I can go into the weeds on this a little bit, and mm. that could lead me into areas that I'm not expert enough to comment on, so we'll try and keep it to the cool. things that we can say. The broad picture. We're the giving broad picture. The broad picture. So, um, so, just to so Chris Bailey, as I understand it, got into erging during the lockdown. I think it was during the lockdown. It was uh, from his Instagram account. It That's what was, I'm going he, on. He got into um, rowing machines in a big way. I want to say rowing machines. We're talking about Concept Two machines. Yeah, so he's he, done the ski erg, he's done the bike erg, he's yeah. done the row erg, as we now call rowing machines. Um, and yeah, he, you know, he he clearly values uh, fitness and all these things. He is a fitness type, but he's also a bodybuilder, and it's bodybuilding that I think has been his main sport. Yeah, um, I think he's won a few competitions. He may. Uh, you know, maybe somebody else called Chris Bailey, who was a very large individual seven years ago. Uh, he may have also been a competitive powerlifter, right. another sport that barely even bothers to pretend. So, um, yeah, the, the official story is fundamentally he had been pinged for Masteron. Now, Masteron is not this thing that you accidentally take. It's not something that, somebody spills a vial of into the protein powder. Um, Masteron, as I said, it was a, it was a therapy in the seventies. Mm. It's now certainly there are two types of Masteron. One of them is only produced by underground labs. Right. Apparently. Okay. So it's, um, a, it's a synthetic, it's right. a synthetic testosterone analog. Right. Okay. So you can't you can't buy maxi muscle protein powder and it's accidentally found its way in there somehow. 
Um, no, this is not the kind of thing people give away for free okay. in their protein shakes. Um, so he's been competing. He has a background in bodybuilding and powerlifting yeah. by the look of it. He's got into ergs in a big way during the pandemic. He's been competing. He's been pinged because it's a virtual event. They've had to set up testers to go to his house. So there have been possible flags that they have responded to. Yeah. And that leads us to the announcement that we got yesterday or the day yeah. before. Now, um, Chris Bailey, uh, to give, give him credit, has been very open with me. And I've, I've sent him several DMs, essentially challenging him, saying, what the hell do you think you're doing? Okay. You know, th this is not how we behave. And this is going to get to the final point, I think, of this whole point, which is the fundamental difference in values between, let's say, the sports of rowing, of coastal rowing, of indoor rowing. I think probably for the overwhelming majority of people of running and things like bodybuilding and powerlifting. Um, but he, Chris Bailey has been quite open with me. Um, he did confirm uh, he, he's not, he's not doing, oh no, this is like some, he's not bullshitting about it. He's saying, I took Masteron. He's not took, doing the usual athletic, I can't believe it. Everyone knows I'm not a drug cheat. Just ask my coach with the bulging briefcase over there. He's not doing the usual athlete no, dance. He's not. Okay. He, he's, he's been, to his credit, he, you know, I sent him an email and he said, they got me. Uh, and what he said was, I went from being a competitive indoor rower and doing a lot of powerlifting on the side and I've done that. And then I, I was going to give another, he described it, I think, as a physique competition. I'm going to give a physique competition a go. Um, and he used Masteron for that about five months uh, before um, the World Indoor Rowing Championships. Right. And uh, again, credit to him. There is a, if, if you look at Instagram and take that as his training diary, there is a very big gap in his training diary between July, the end of July and the end of September. Okay. So he, he wasn't using ERGs. I think he was cutting is the official phase for his physique competition. He was essentially starving himself to get rid of fat. And this is one of the uses of Masteron is it's an agent that allows you to maintain muscle mass while starving the fat off your body. What he said, and this is, this is where we're really starting to push into the moral nub of this whole thing is that he felt he was all right to compete five months after he'd stopped taking Masteron um, because, because from everything he'd heard, there should be no detectable trace of the drug in his system and therefore he would not be gaining any advantage. Now, I disagree with that statement profoundly and I've told him so. I've, I've, I've said to him, look, I just, I just don't buy that. That's, that's not the way this works. He still used them. That's the point, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, it's to put the details. Okay. 
The sample taken from Chris Bailey, I, I think it was a blood sample, not a urine sample, but the concentration of mastron within that was three nanograms per milliliter. Now, I don't know what, I'm not an expert because with nearly all of these things, with anabolic steroids, you inject them into your fat or your muscle. And so it's not, they're not soluble, particularly soluble in your blood. They are what are known as hydrophobic compounds. And um, they're actually made more hydrophobic by various little chemical additions to them. So they hang around in your body for longer. Right. So I can't tell you what a, a weekly dose of two times 200 milligrams translates into the concentration in somebody's blood, the concentration in somebody's urine. He, he basically said this was not a performance enhancing dose. Now, I may be, you know, there may be enhanced athletes listening to this, and I may be trying to teach my grandmother to suck balls, but that's fundamentally wrong. That's not how sports people use anabolic steroids. Yeah. Um, and I'm quoting somebody who really knows about this here. I'm quoting someone who in the Western hemisphere is the guy you go to if you want to get fast the fast way. Um, a guy called Johnny Romano, who has a, a compound, shall we say, in northern Mexico, where a lot of people visit um, to essentially take drugs and do training. And what he said is, no, you, you don't want to be on the compounds during the event or close to the event because the, the compounds swell you up. They don't let you move well. You want to be off the compounds at least six weeks in advance, probably three, five, six months. What you're using the compounds for is to build muscle and to build a bank of training that you would not be able to withstand or create otherwise. You're, you're there to build, to undergo super physiological stress and get super physiological results. Which is the whole reason why drug cheats take anabolic steroids and their analogs is because they allow you to train harder for longer, re recover faster, repeat. So it's yes. not about the event, it's about the training block and it's about yeah. the use of the, it's about the use of the comp. And with Johnny Romano, they're going to his compound to take compounds. It's actually about the use of the compound in the first place. And um, yes, it's fundamentally cheating. clean athletes don't take these compounds. And just to say that, you know, and I'm looking at your notes here, and if I'm quoting something that you're wanting to get to, I apologize, but Masteron is basically a long, a longish lasting, highly efficient analog of natural testosterone. So it does the same job as your natural testosterone. And remember, we've talked to Mark Lewis about TRT replacement therapy and what it's done for him and what it's doing for a lot of, a lot of men but it does the same job for better and longer. So if you're on it for a training block, whether for a physique competition or for a period of heavy lifting or of intensive work, it's going to have a long lasting benefit and effect. Yeah. 
you're, you're going to build muscle. You're going to build muscle memory that is going to lead to um, greater future performance than you would ever otherwise be able to. And also the important things to note about Masteron specifically. So all these compounds and there are maybe two dozen in cons in common usage. Um, but Masteron, all, all of them have this basic testosterone analog function, but they all come with an interesting range of effects and side effects. Okay. So there are some things they trigger more than other things, and there are some side effects that they bring on more than other side effects. And so I, get the your, I get the sense that what you're about to go into is relevant for rowing. Yeah. So okay. notably, Masteron and another compound known as Equipoise or Boldenone um, have strongly erythropoietic effects. Okay. And so that will uh, that will happen very quickly. Um, so if you think that Masteron is a eight to twelve week cycle where your one regime would be two injections a week. Uh, you would get that effect within a week. Your red blood cell count would rise and rise strongly, possibly to le levels you could never naturally achieve. Um, and then that would last for about six weeks after you stop taking the drug. So it has an EPO effect. So it, it has it, an EPO effect. It, so it has an oxygen very, carrying. Very good, yeah, for endurance events. Um, we should actually say, you know, we're back and we're both wearing different clothes because two days have elapsed and and, and Lewin has turned to drink. Where, where you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so where do we, where do we actually get up to? I've highlighted it. We got as far as the um, as the as the blood clot issue, and we hadn't got we hadn't got oh. down. Um, oh, there we, we were go. about to say, yeah, the master on for endurance during the cutting phase, and then we've got the the enzyme stuff, and then the stuff about culture. As clean, yeah. as clean as a whistle that's been dipped in anabolic steroids. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. You, you couldn't really take a whistle. You know, you couldn't take them via a whistle because they have to, it, it wouldn't work. They've got to go into the fat, haven't they? Um, now, an athlete couldn't say I was as clean as a whistle, but the whistle that was handed to me was dipped in anabolic steroids. No, no. Okay. Right. This, this, is, this is fun and interesting. There are two categories of anabolic steroids. There are your oral anabolics and okay. your injectable anabolics. And your oral anabolics, they are 17-alpha alkylated. Mm. Okay, so if you imagine the oral anabolics are basically uh, four rings of carbon molecules put together like a little convenient jigsaw, a... a a small snapshot of a very, very tiny um, beehive. Right. If you think about that. Okay. Made by can... slightly drunk bees. Yeah. Um, and so you go around the edge of this yeah. little thing, and there is carbon number 17. And they alkylate this. So they stick a another carbon on that carbon 17. And this prevents the molecule from being broken down by your digestive system. Right. So you can um, 
take it orally. Mm-hmm. You can then, it gets taken up in your fat metabolism. But the thing is, it bec- then becomes, uh, so most steroids have the possibility of becoming hepatotoxic, so toxic to your liver. Right. But the oral steroids are known to be worse for this. So it's one of these like bizarre things that actually, if you're advising like a newbie cheat to um, take something, it would actually, no, you, you, you seriously, you, you want to get onto the needles straight away. You, you want to jump past that tablets and pills and you want to get into the needles, which is really, really weird. Um, but it will probably actually be slightly less damaging for you. Okay. Just to say, everyone, if you're wondering why there's a sudden jerk in the podcast where for one moment we're talking about the erythropoic um, benefits of Masteron, and then all of a sudden Luna's explaining to um, the non-sciencey one, which of course is, is me, um, about the difference between oral and injectable steroids and why we're both wearing completely different clothes. And we have a different background. And Loon has a different background, whereas I'm just modeling the usual pink wool, which I blend into. It's because there's been a two day break where all of a sudden Loon had PGCE. Um, I, I think it's a, it's quite a common thing. You can pick it up. It tends to come and go. I believe that Dan Armstrong currently has moments of PGCE as well. So we're picking up the Chris Bailey episode. Brave man. Can I just say that anabolic sounds like a character in the dandy? next to Billy Wiz, like Anabolic could be his female sidekick who's on the gear. She absolutely could. <laughs> okay, Aaron, you're, you're a talented man. You, you, you have creative... Urges, um, impulses. Why, why, why don't you create a Illusions. Viz-esque cartoon, Anabolic? <laughs> um, <laughs> because fun, fundamentally... There are so many different, deeply, deeply amusing things that you can make happen to this character who is abusing anabolic steroids. I can see it. Anabol- um, anabolic, the adventures of a steroid-addled Instagram fitness influencer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. I, this, this could get me into a lot of trouble with women it, everywhere. It could. <laughs> I'm also going to say that um, we should probably get on with this because this is like kind of a, a serious thing. But no, seriously, pitch the idea to Viz. Just call them up. I think there's only like still only about like six people that work there. I think um, I think they've been there since it started. Pretty much, they they found their golden yeah. goose, and by God, they're going to milk it. I know that's a mixed metaphor, but um, there you go. If you've come up with a character like Sid the Sexist and the Bacon's and the fat slags. I, I, it's a little bit like being Dickens. You know, you can kind, you don't have to do anything else. You've made your mark on the culture. All this just takes me back to the nineties. God, it was great. The nineties are re- everyone's being really nostalgic for the nineties at the moment. I, I don't know why I, I thought that the seventies were way better when I was like two. <laughs> you were biased. Um, yeah. Okay. So what were we talking about? We were talking about Chris Bailey. Chris Bailey. Cheat. Um, we would, uh, yes. Who Sorry, that was me sneezing. At the, at the World Indoor Rowing Championships, um, he felt that he was clean yep. uh, because he hadn't been taking any of the old Masteron, which is usually, although not always, but usually taken with a range of other um, anabolic compounds. 
But we were discussing what this would do for him. We were discussing the fact that he would get an elevated blood cell count for the eight to 12 week cycle, and then probably another six weeks, I believe, for the hemocrit to fall back to normal. Um, so he is actually, even though, even if he's taking Masteron by itself and not as a masking agent mm -hmm. for something else or as an agent to maximize the testosterone production from something else, he's still getting a benefit as a rower from getting it because he's getting more blood cells, which is what yeah, cyclists I mean, used to dope for and it, still do. It's, it's a very, very immediate at the time. So right. if we're talking, it, I don't have enough evidence to say that he hadn't taken anything for um, five months. Um, there are various issues on the clearance of Masteron that I could argue with, but I'm not an expert enough. I haven't had enough time to probably go into it to find out. Okay. Um, and uh, let's face it, a lot of the sources I've looked at are kind of bro science. Have you uh, been on Reddit by any chance? No, this one isn't Reddit. Uh, th okay. This is the various kind of advice stroke sales sites on the internet for anabolic steroids. Um, I would advise, well, we'll come to that later, but I, I do think that actually clean athletes and people who believe in clean sports should educate themselves about what is on these sites, what is available. But anyway, um, the other thing is fundamentally, if you are an anabolic steroid user, you will generate super physiological amounts of muscle, which will mean that you can row using fewer strokes per minute. You can row with a shorter stroke, um, all of which overall you can make more efficient if you are very, very strong. So you have, it's promoting red blood cell uh, production, increased red blood mm -hmm. cell production. It's uh, promoting strength gains in terms of um, uh, muscle tissue and mass. Uh, you've got down that it promotes endurance during the cutting phase and it blocks the aromatase enzyme. Lewin, tell me all about the aromatase enzyme like I know what you're talking about. Okay, so um, the, aromat the ar aromatase enzyme I've ruined it for uh, you, haven't I? Yeah, yeah, completely. Aromatase. Um, aromatase. It looks like looks like aromatase, like something you'd smell. Um, so aromatic is, okay. is so an aromatic enzyme. Look, do you know how I said that all steroid molecules are basically um, a load of carbons arranged into four rings, all stuck together. Yeah. Um, they are aromatic rings in some cases, and therefore um that's where it comes from it's basically a benzene ring but can i ask because a, it's can i ask a serious question yeah having, having completely derailed you so when you say that they're aromatic rings um could you use them instead of potpourri around the house no just it, can, it, it comes from the fact that aromatic compounds compounds with benzene rings on them tend to have a lot of aroma to them right um but okay it's, Stick it's this is completely different so Okay. To cut a very long story short, if you inject yourself with too much testosterone mm -hmm. or too much testosterone-like molecules, so androgenic anabolic steroids, which are all based on testosterone and all do a more or less testosterone-like job, yeah. your body kicks in and says, oh, we've got too much of this. We're going to convert it into estrogen-like chemicals and progesterone-like chemicals. 
Okay. This is what why I, you know, we were just talking about the nineties and how great they were. Do you remember yeah. the film Fight Club? I do remember the film Fight Club. And do you remember Meatloaf's character? Yes, I do. Before, Even though, of course, I disavow all toxic masculinity and everything associated with David Fincher at this point. I remember he had um, he had boobs. He had um, infamously bitch tits. Indeed. Uh, as it was described. And this is a side effect of taking too much testosterone when you don't get the dose right. Um, this was partly because he'd had both his testicles removed as character. But essentially, you give... If you give a man too much testosterone, it will be converted into estrogen and I think progesterone, and you will start to develop female characteristics. Right. Among these are famously gynomastia, which is the enlarged swelling of the nipples, which is in a highly muscular man, more or less stigmata for the use of anabolic steroids. So you can look perfect, but if your nipples if, are... if you've got slightly puffy or enlarged nipples, it it's a thing to look for. If you're, you know, is this person on the gear? So first of all, they'll be taking their shirt off at every possible opportunity because they'll have really big upper body muscles. The next thing is their nipples will be somewhat protruding. It doesn't happen all the time, but it is a side effect. It is Permanent is wrong, but you do need surgery to get rid of it. It's fairly minor surgery, happens all the time. Uh, the other people who famously suffer from gynomastia are teenage boys who eat too much sugar and smoke marijuana. Okay. Um, um, so, yeah, that's what aromatase does. So, obviously, people taking lots and lots of these hormones want to block the action of aromatase so it doesn't turn into um so or no so their estrogen levels do not go through the roof right okay now it's it's slightly more complicated than that and i have seen some different explanations of how masteron works but essentially again masteron is working to make you more masculine okay um, Fundamentally, yeah. And it also um, causes your hair to fall out. It does indeed. And essentially, this is what Chris Bailey has has been doing. He's been doping and he's been caught. Yeah. Um, and the effects of his doping, they are both short-term positive effects. They are medium-term, all the extra muscle that he's had. And you can look up Chris Bailey's Instagram account. It's still there, erg underscore athlete. Um, and you can see him going from a frankly inflated parody of a man on the rowing machine to merely just a very, very large, strong man over the course of 18 months. Mm. Um, but it's also important to note that if you take anabolic steroids, your muscles adapt in actually what is a quite positive way. Um, they elevate, so your muscle cells have numerous cell nuclei, which are the nerve center of the cell. Mm -hmm. They're the bit that receives incoming signals and uh, gives out instructions for that cell to adapt. 
Okay. And one of the things, this is this is the long-term effect of anabolic steroids. This is why people are starting to talk about having much longer bands yeah. and um, arguably lifetime bands for uh, repeat users because if you take anabolic steroids, the number of myonuclei increase, which essentially, um, animal studies only, but essentially means that your muscle cells are more capable of adapting to stress signals placed upon them. Right. And that doesn't go away. That is a lifetime benefit you gain from using anabolic steroids. So they're more responsive to stimulus, essentially. Yeah. So if you, if you move from being a power athlete to being a power endurance athlete, you will probably have to do less work. You know, it will be less of a grind to turn those, you know, type 2B fast twitch muscle fibers into type 2B slow twitch muscle fibers. The response will be faster. So just to come back on that, Lewin, and as we always do with people on the podcast, we've invited Chris on to, you know, give his side of it. You've had a bit of a back and forth with him by Instagram DMs. Given what you've just said, how do you feel about his claim that what he took was not performance enhancing in any way whatsoever? I profoundly disagree with it. I mean, to teach my enhanced athlete grandmothers to suck balls. Um, but I think they're missing the point. Anabolic, you know, I know what we do is essentially a stamina sport. Rowing is a stamina sport. Mm. But as, you know, the Russians were no strangers to giving their 1,500-meter runners Dianabol. It improves recovery. It means you can do more hard sessions a week. You can recover from those hard sessions and all the other advantages that we've just discussed. I, I would say that probably the biggest advantage would be the hemocrit levels yeah. where, you know, you're, you're really kind of like, it's a little bit like using erythropoietin. That is very short-lived. Um, and that would be probably the biggest advantage, but there's no two ways. A long-term user of anabolic steroids will be advantaged in comparison to somebody else stepping into the field at the same time. And this is where we're going to transition from talking about the science of what Chris Bailey's done to the actual cultural impact of it. There are some sporting cultures where there's a feeling that PEDs like Masteron, like the, like, um, the drugs that are widely available and that are used, allow you to just become the best you can be. You're enhancing yourself because you have the time and the money to invest in this, and this allows you to be the best that you can be. And I think that we are both on the same page, quite literally, because I'm reading from your brief, your brief here, but we would both agree that this is not actually true. Performance enhancing in drugs allow you to be more than you ever could be naturally. That is the point of them. It's more than anyone could ever be naturally. They have an impact regardless of when you took them. Yeah, I that that is again that is a debatable position, but I, I think we have to understand that all of drugs in sport is a debatable position. As late as the 1970s, there were 
conferences of Olympic coaches turning around and saying, well, actually, are steroids really that bad? Should we not basically look at this in the same way that Formula One looks at things? Every year, there will be a new and better car. Every mm. Olympic cycle, there will be new and better steroids. Yeah. So, but what we are arguing about really is the values that we as rowers, we as indoor rowers and competitive indoor rowers, wish to preserve in our sport and in the community and culture around that sport. And that 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 is my, you know, again, credit to Chris Bailey. He responded to me in a forthright, honest, and calm manner. You know, mm-hmm. you, you accuse some people of like taking stuff and we've dealt with people who we've like, we've reached out to them and they've just, they've blocked us, they ate a pig's balls or something. I don't yeah. know. Uncastrated um, wild boar, which to be honest, the local Tesco is really struggling to get it in at the minute. The supply chain stuff that's happening, when a man can't get uncastrated wild boar in his own village, something is fundamentally wrong with England. <laughs> yeah, fundamentally. But um, he w- he was forthright. He was upfront about it. But he considered himself to be a clean athlete. That's the Because point. he believed that he had reached a point where he could pass a test. Yeah. Okay. That's the point. Yeah. This... This is fundamentally, and I believe that there are sports, and I will name them, and I will make my apologies to some people, but fundamentally, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, cross-training for fitness, because Thank we can get in never trouble. talk to us again. Um, and I will, you know, in all of these sports, there are fundamentally there are natural athletes. Yeah. Um, my colleague in Sub Seven Indoor Rowing Club, um, Ole Christian Carlson, who is a better athlete uh, in his mid fifties than I was in my late thirties, um, and is a better athlete than I ever will be. Um, fundamentally, he he said, "Look, the Norwegian Powerlifting Federation says." You can't be a powerlifter unless you're part of a club. If you go to that club at any point, we can come and test you. You know, if you're in the club, we can just like knock on the door and test everyone. Um, They have a really hard line. The American Olympic Weightlifting Federation has a massively hard line on drug cheats, which is probably why there are very, very few American Olympic gold medalists in weightlifting. And, you know, CrossFit, there are huge numbers of people, you know, and I, I think there are lots and lots of things about CrossFit, which is hugely positive. You know, we've spoken to Frankie and she's, she's great. great. Yeah. She doesn't take drugs. No, maybe, she, maybe she coffee probably, in the morning. She probably thinks that, you know, an ibuprofen, if she's got a headache, is verging on cheating. Yeah. But at the highest levels of the sport, it, you know, it's dodgy. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I, a blind man can see it. What we're coming down to here, Lewin, is 
we're trying to get our heads around the fact that there are people in this world who will, with a straight face, say, I am clean because I took the drugs six months ago. Whereas you and I would go, you took the drugs, you are a dirty athlete. Yes. And, and that is the, that is the, the cultural perception that they have and that we have that doesn't mesh. If, you know, in our world, in our upbringing, in our sporting lives, you take drugs, you are a cheat. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you, you look at bodybuilding, you look at powerlifting, they both have natural and enhanced competitions. They, they're not as straight up. Well, I think powerlifting actually is now. They just say, uh, I think they've got natural. I'm not too clear on the, you know, you've got natural and other, mm. and we know what other means. Um, yeah. And you can you can go from one competition to the other. There are natural bodybuilders and there are other bodybuilders. Right. Um, and you can be another bodybuilder and then you go back to a natural competition because you're not on cycle anymore. Drugs can't be detected within your system. You know, it, it, it's a very kind of like, it's a sort of misty back and forth. There isn't a clear, absolute bright line in these sports between and, and you're cheating or you're clean. And in these sports, it's because you're clean because the drugs can't be detected in your system, but they're not, they're not testing for the advantages that the drugs that you have taken have given you. Yes. Right. Whereas as rowers, we would point out, or even as long distance runners, or if we were cyclists or whatever sport that we happen to be passionate about, we would go, well, you know, you, you did this for six months in this training block and, and your 2K time went from this to this. Yes, but I'm clean now. Yes, but your 2K time went from this to this because of all of these factors yeah. that these PEDs are given. And do you remember when we had Phil Hurst on? And 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 yeah. uh, he he was he was wonderful, and he was very good on the fact that one of the reasons that rowing in Britain doesn't have an endemic drug problem, and we have the two idiots from the Young Offenders Institute, we had the idiot at the indoors, and we had Chris Bailey, and there's that thing, and maybe it's because Steve Redgrave was always miserable. How do you win so many gold medals, Steve? Because I work bloody hard. It's all bloody hard work. I'm always miserable. It's just bloody hard. It's just painful. If anyone sees me in a boat, shoot me. But in rowing, and to a greater extent, I, I've been doing indoor rowing for a very long time. Um, and, both yeah, as we, like training for rowing and actually competitively and being part of the community. Um, you know, I had an account on the old concept2.co.uk forum probably 2004, 2005, we just didn't have that conversation. You because know, when we heard about Nick Fletcher mm. and Graham Benton and mm. Tony Lockman, mm. we didn't sit around saying, oh, I wonder what they're taking. Do you reckon it's just like anabolics or do you reckon they've gone on the, on, on the injections and they're... Yeah. We didn't have that conversation because it's not our culture. Yeah. What we asked about is what heart rate are they training at? Yeah. What How much doing? UT2 are they doing? What is their split between intense sessions and long distance slow sessions? How slow is their slow O state? Yeah. You know, are they on the Wolverine plan? Are they on the peak plan? What's are they on a special session? plan that's been kind of like cooked up for them on the back of like three VO2 max tests by Eddie Fletcher? Those were the questions we asked. We were looking for the, the secret training plan. 
we weren't looking for the secret sauce. Yeah. And that is a good culture. That's yeah. no. Okay. Right. I'm not even going to say that. That is our culture. I'm going to say it's a good culture because it means that we don't have drug cheats as rowers. But yeah, if there we, you go. And let's be honest, the, the growth in indoor rowing in online competitions, things like Zuma goes because of the pandemic, it's a gateway to the sport. And we've talked ad infinitum about the fact that the rowing in Britain needs people coming through the door and staying through the door when they get yep. there to stop the churn. But, and I don't want to sound like some kind of old English buffer talking about some garden in Arcadie or, 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 or some, some long lost utopia where, where we, we trained on broccoli and chicken thighs. And if we couldn't get chicken thighs, then we just ate the rigors. You know, there is no nostalgia. The, the good old days weren't actually that good. If you, if you go back, I have, you know, grandparents who lived through the hungry twenties and thirties. It wasn't all joy, but the reality is that there is something in this weird, contradictory, complex, class-ridden, mixed-up sport of ours that has a very idealistic, simple and pure heart, which is the more that you put into it, the more that you get out of it. You may be a red grave and you may your limits may be five gold medals and only old age will stop you going on. You may be someone like me and my limits are, you know, my my 632k score and the fact that I got to roll with, with decent people at Agecroft and now at Tyne. And, and, and you went to Henley. And I went to Henley, you know. A lot of people didn't that year. And, and I danced with millionaire heiresses. I should have married her, dear listener. Um, but <laughs> the reality is that... What if, if she's listening? What if she's thinking, hang on, that was the guitarist rower. <laughs> I really liked him. I am still available. Hey, I... I he's I'm, available and he's smoothly shaven, if I'm, you know what I mean. I'm incredibly smoothly shaven, thanks to Manscaped. As a sidebar... I spent an interesting Saturday night um, a week ago. Um, I tried out some dating apps and I've, I've learned they've got absolutely nothing to do with archaeology. Not a damn thing. Nope. <laughs> Couldn't date anything. Loads of strange women kept sending me very suggestive messages, though, uh, which was nice of them. But the point is that we have this sport and we have this culture where, where we do what we do and we get what we get. Uh, we don't do what we do and then go, well, it'll be better if I take this. And we want people in the sport, but if they're coming from rugby and bodybuilding and powerlifting because the erg, and this is where you can wax lyrical, Lewin, the erg is a thing where you can, you can definitively measure your power output and it has little numbers and it has data and those, those things that are also wonderful. If you're coming from a culture that says, of course I'm clean, I haven't taken anything for the last six months and you're coming into rowing. I, I don't want to be, it's not just what happens on the machine it's not yeah. just what happens in the olympic velodrome in december at british rowing indoor championships yeah it is the whole culture i don't want to be and sharing air with people who are you know fundamentally living in a quite alien and dangerous place they're they're lying to a lot of people around them they're probably lying to their parents Mm -hmm. They may be lying to their GP. Yeah. They might be even lying to their partner. They're probably lying to their employers. You know, if you're like this massive, huge, buff guy, it's just like, and every time you take your jacket off, it's just like your muscles are standing everywhere. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, do you take protein shakes? Yeah, yeah, protein yeah. shakes. You, and it's just like, 
you basically your health and well-being, both physical and emotional, mm. is just rocked and buffeted from side to side. Um, I don't know what the actual figures are on shortening your life expectancy. It's probably not great. But again, it's this thing that the values of enhanced sport are not the values of rowing. Whether yeah. we're talking indoor, river, or co coastal. Mm. And I object. I am I am triggered, Aaron. I'm triggered. I'm offended. Oh my and God. yes, I'm choosing to be offended. And yes, I'm stamping my foot and throwing my toys out of the gram. And I have this tiny, tiny little platform from which to throw those toys. And I'm going to use it because I'm going to say that enhanced athletes coming into the sport, whether it is just indoor or whether it's indoor and then river rowing, coastal rowing, whatever it is, they are displaying a fundamental ignorance and cavalier attitude towards the value of an established sporting organization, established community of athletes. And they're just like saying, oh, we can take our rules, our very, very strange rules, the 90% of sports in the world actually have rules about banning, mm. and they can just presume they're welcome, and they're not. Essentially, they have different beliefs, they have different standards, and those beliefs and standards are incompatible with ours. To be willing to stand up and say, if you sit down at the British Indoor Rowing Championships, at the Evesham Golden Mile, at this, at that, the other, whatever competition is, next to someone who's just like bulging muscles, you've seen them on Instagram and they're just like talking about their striations and their vascularity, whatever it is, you should just stand up, say to the organizer, I don't want to sit next to him or her because it is both sexes very much at the moment. And they should, they should basically row with empty ergs next to them. And you go and row in the bullpen or whatever it is, or at the back, I don't care. But I really think that as a community, we should not endorse, we should not make people feel welcome. And I, I fully get, I'm doing this terrible thing of saying there are the righteous and there are the damned. But the alternative is we all have to become damned if we want to keep up. And I'm, I'm not prepared to do that. Well, it sounds like an extreme position and some might take it as that. And it'll, it will be the people who usually choose to get offended. Um, I don't think there's that. I don't think we offend that many people despite our best efforts. But I would think of it like this. If I was a younger man and I was rowing at a going to Henley type club, like an Agecroft or a, somewhere else, and I was in the squad jockeying for position, I took a certain comfort in knowing that I got as far as I did by myself 
I knew that Sean wasn't taking anything. I knew that you weren't taking anything. I knew that Ben wasn't. It didn't even cross my mind because we just saw each other every day and got on with the work and the things that we achieved. We It took a long time to get to Henley. We achieved it by working really hard for it. We didn't take shortcuts. We we lost races. We got absolutely bloody hammered in some of them. It took us a, it took us a long time to become semi-competent, to become fitter and faster and stronger because actually to develop those qualities even in the Lewins of this world and you may have heard me say that Lewin is and I'm being kind because I love him he's a genetic freak um but he still had to work really hard to become the genetic freak that we all know and love I would feel really odd about being in a squad or a dressing room or a boat with someone who I'm not going to go to Henley this year. Therefore, I will take this and this will get me to Henley ahead of the river or to head of the Charles or to, you know, a winner's pot ahead of the trend or long distance schools at the Tyne. You know, it's it's not it's not right in the other cultures and it doesn't sit well in ours. You've got to call bullshit out where you see it. Fundamentally, yes. I, w- I would also say that there's a guy, a very successful fitness influencing YouTuber called Alan Thrall. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what his precise history is, now he's a powerlifter and a gym owner. Mm-hmm. And so he lives in that particular atmosphere. Swamp. And he w- he's actually sort of done a really interesting video, um, uh, which has obviously been debated by a great many people about why he would never take steroids going forward. Right. And fundamentally, the big thing he said is because if I did it and I became stronger and I became more muscular, um, I would know there would always be this nagging voice, you couldn't do it without me. Yeah. There'd be that little voice coming from the fridge where he keeps his little vials of stuff, you're nothing without me. I think that I, I think that was a really, really good point. We don't, you know, rowing in particular is just this ridiculously simple sport. You know, it's not like cycling. We don't have aero boats. We don't, we do have like obviously carbon fiber, this, that, and the other, because, but actually, to be honest, not a spitfire. We've got a lot of fiberglass. Um, we've got a lot of wood. We've actually got a wooden boat. It's really nice. We get there without assistance we get there under our own steam now one thing i am going to say is there needs to be a solution again come back to the point that sport is for all yeah okay so uh, those who are enhanced athletes as far as i'm concerned they need somewhere to go birmingham (laughs) i hear it's nice this time of year um, now I'm going to suggest the ski erg. Go there, stay there. No honestly, sane. honestly, the juicers can have it. Yeah, because because no, no sane rower actually likes it or wants one. Yeah, um, I'm I'm I, I'm going to say I'm biased because I'm crap at it. Yeah. Um, but you know, actually, it puts fairly similar kind of strains and stresses on the system. Mm-hmm. Um, if you give somebody enough training on it, more or less their speeds are very, very similar. Um, I don't know. I've never found out. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it every now and again because it's quite good cross training, uh, because it exercises all different muscles and, but yeah, it's like, let's have 
the British Indoor Skiing Championships. The Bis- Championships. Biscuit. <laughs> the biscuit we'll call it biscuit yeah. and we'll basically they can put a sign on it saying we do not drug test here we've already got things like high rocks um we had the national fitness games and big shout out to martin evans who went and raced there in the 2k okay. and got bronze medal yeah his quote was i was looking around the place and this whole national fitness games malarkey well, there are a lot of very, very unhealthy people who seem to be very, very fit. Um, So you can, you can literally have your own competitions. Uh, We we just need to be really, really clear about it. There are two sports. There is the, we do not test sport and we expect you to race and train on a lifetime basis according to wider principles. Okay. The British Indoor Rowing Championships should put that right up front. This will be a wider sanctioned event. It's, of course, we want people to come into rowing. We want you to, to realise how wonderful it is to smack a boat down the river with your friends. But go as far as you can as you are and take satisfaction in that if you are a red grave and you're going to win another five goals then fantastic but if as far as you can get is messing around with your friends on a saturday morning one in three because you've you've got to take the children swimming or to gymnastics the other two that's great you don't need to take anything to get better you know and and the the they're coming into our sport from other sports with different cultures we're not setting ourselves up as you know rowing nazis or the or the virtue police i mean i've seen i've seen lewin drink coffee i mean he he can drink coffee to the point where crack addicts would be going i think you should not have a <laughs> guy you know mate yeah. because it's you know so we're no strangers to excess but not in that way it's not <sighs> You know what I think it is? And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going off script here, so this will sound slightly loose. I think we live in a fundamentally narcissistic age. And I think people, people aren't their personalities and their self-identities anymore. People are what they present on screen and they want to present the physical perfection and the abs and the, the 2K score and the, the bench press and the shoulders. And, uh, and the easiest way to get that is, is not is not to do the work and do a hundred push-ups a day before work or whatever. It's to it's to take things and throw heavy weights around and go, raw, look at me. I am I am I am Thor, mighty, you know, mighty on his mountain. It's get real, get off the screen, you know, be a human being, be flawed, as we all are. Can I can I say that's actually one of the reasons I hate doping more than anything else? You because can? fundamentally, okay. Actually, this is true for you. You should hate doping too. This is probably true for, I'm going to say, at least 90% of the people who are going to go to the British Indoor Rowing Championships, okay? If you actually take that person who's done like a year's worth on the seat, behind the handle, slogging away, whether they're a rower or an indoor rower, whatever it is, that person is going to look by the standards of, let's say, 1960s, 
before the you know, early 19, okay, 1950s, before steroid using bodybuilding took off. Mm -hmm. Okay, that person is going to be the epitome of a physically fit man. Yeah. Okay. I'm oh, sorry, that. ladies, I'm slightly leaving you out of this. You will undoubtedly be the epitome of physically fit woman. And to be honest, steroid abusing ladies are making this harder and harder for you. Yeah. The comparison that I suffer is basically everybody now knows what a physically fit man should look like. And it's 110 kilograms with, again, super physiological amounts of muscle. It's a bodybuilder. Oh, sorry, a fitness influencer on Instagram who has muscle that they could never have built before. And I chose a long time ago that that was not a route I was going down. And that means that I have to spend my life not being the epitome of masculine physical fitness, but kind of like a big bloke with a few visible muscles, but very much in the B squad. Yeah. And, and I resent that, <laughs> frankly. Resent I'm sorry. I know it's childish. I know it's narcissist, narcissistic, and I know I'm a happily married man. Um, but fundamentally, the fact that I get compared to people who are destroying their liver and shriveling their testicles and may have to be on testosterone replacement therapy every day for the rest of their lives if they wish to maintain an erection. Basically, I, I, I genuinely resent it. And so it's like, I'm, I'm never going to be okay with it. I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, you know, it's like each their own. They go in their place. So, yeah, they can fuck off to CrossFit and they can fuck off to the ski erg. And they can stay the hell out of rowing. They can stay out of indoor rowing. And guys, just please, in Kent, South Coast, keep them out of coastal rowing as well. I do hate doping. And it's not just for those reasons. I'm, I'm fortunate because I'm what I like to call genetically blessed. So I've managed to get by on just being handsome and incredibly intelligent and engaging and warm in company. Um, but... I, I hate the fact that when I watch the Olympics now, I watch it with a deep sense of cynicism. Fuck it. Oh, God. And I saw, when I was young and I saw Daley Thompson nail the pole vault that he needed and then do the backflip to go to the East German, suck it, dopers. I was like, yes. And he looked like a fit bloke with a bit of a tub <laughs> and a little bit of fat. And he was smashing the crap out of other athletes. And now I watch... I watch the 100 meters and I watch the 1500 and I watch the gymnastics and I, wa I watch it and I just think you're all on something. It might not come out in this game, but at some point your B sample is going to be tested and you're going to be pinged. I don't believe it anymore. And the thing is, I, I have young children who love to be physical, who dream about being a gold medal winning sprinter, who dream about being a, a gold medal winning gymnast. And I just think, firstly, given the amount of coaching scandals in Great Britain, I don't want anybody near you who isn't me. And secondly, I don't want you to join a high performance program and have someone at some point say, well, at some, you know, if you want to take the next step. Yeah. Because 
you know, because I think I brought them up right, but I don't know if I have. And what if they have some deep rooted insecurity? I don't even like the fact that they're going to, they're being bombarded by images every day on screen of perfect people. And they're not, they're people using filters and shading and tweaks and tucks to make my children were born immaculate and they're going to be bombarded with all of this shit that says your eyebrows need to be this shape and your nose should be this shape and your ears should be this shape it's like fuck off they're perfect that's basically it that's rant over and the next time that Lou and i are are talking like this we're going to be talking about rocky because i have really strong views on those films now now that i've actually watched them rocky yeah rocky Again, this disillusioning effect. That was one of the things that at probably eight, ten, yeah, got me into physical activity, made me think, so, oh, yeah, training. And I don't remember actually doing dorsal raises with large cushions because I wanted to be like Sly. No, I didn't even want to be like Sly. I wanted to be like Rocky. Yeah. I wanted to believe in that. And now you look back on that and it's like, that was Diana Ball, wasn't it? Fuckers. Here's the thing. Here, here's the weird thing. The first one, if Martin Scorsese had directed it, it would be a classic of the 70s. In fact, it 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 is. It's not about the, you know, the drugs that he was taking to achieve the effects that he achieved. It's a classic American underdog mean streets of the city kind of story. That's kind of great. I can live with that. But then once you've watched one, you kind of go through them and, and I mean, poor a more happy fundamentally. Well, he, he always ends up winning, but this is the thing. Like we, we had uh, Mark Lewis on and he likes Rocky. He puts it on before workouts because it gets him psyched up. And I can understand that the montages and I'm with you as an eight year old boy going, <laughs> Oh, amazing you know you just it just gets you going but what's the actual metaphor because there's no skill involved in his boxing the the reason he, he keeps winning is he can be punched in the head more than the other guy he's not like slick he hasn't got amazing defensive moves he's just got will and just like the ability to absorb huge amounts of brain damage again it's like i can understand the fundamental yeah i mean again there, there are aspects behind it i can understand but it is a question of we are looking up to an enormous physical specimen, a mm-hmm. combination of blood and bone and Italian vowels with human spirit and Italian but, vowels and Italian vowels. But yeah. that's what we're look, looking for. It, it, it is, you know, again, Ross Tucker has said this, a much wiser and more intelligent man than me is what does sport measure? it measures the tangible blood and bone that we are built, that we are born with Mm. and that we develop through puberty. Yeah. And then it measures the intangible of willpower, of determination, of conscientiousness and of standing on that lip on the day of the event of going 1% faster than you've ever been before, but not trying to go 2% faster so you end up going 1% slower. And that's what, that's what we admire. Those are the qualities we are looking for in sport. No, 
those are the qualities most people are looking for in sport. We are not looking for how clever your doctor was. We are not looking for the fact that you know this guy in China who can get you the good shit. That's what, those are not things we admire. We admire how you were born and how good you were at modifying that and how good you are on the day. We are looking for an epic human performance. We are not looking for really, really clever pharmacologists. I think that is an excellent place to leave it. We shall do that then. Okay. Aaron, thank you very much for allowing me to have this round. That's fine. You do it all the time for me, but we never record mine.